And I am Brian Sullivan in for Melissa Lee tonight. And this is Fast Money and your trader lineup on this big Monday show. Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Pete Nigerian tonight on Fast. Elon Musk on the record. The SpaceX CEO announcing groundbreaking plans to launch the first ever all-civilian space mission by the end of this year. He just spoke exclusively to NBC News. We'll bring you those comments ahead. Plus, a developing story out of D.C. President Biden kicking off high-stakes stimulus talks with a group of Republican senators. We are live in D.C. with the very latest. Later, it is high-ho silver away. The metal soaring as the Reddit rebellion takes on a new target, maybe the monetary and banking system itself. We'll break down that trade straight ahead. There is a lot to do. Welcome, everybody. Hope you're having a a good Monday, wherever you may be, because we're going to start with a blizzard hitting Wall Street. No, 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 no. We're not talking about all the snow that is slamming the Northeast. We're talking about the buying blizzard in big tech today. Just look at some of today's moves. If you're only focused on GameStop, silver, attendees, look at this. Amazon rallying more than 4%. Alphabet topping 3.5%. Microsoft, another big day there, up more than 3% as well. Those gains helping to fuel a big rally in the NASDAQ and NASDAQ 100. In fact, the NASDAQ up 2.5%. So as we kick off a new trading month, do you continue to stick with what worked for most of last year and appears to be working at least the beginning of this year, Tim Seymour, outside of all the Reddit stuff, what do you make of the big tech day today? Well, welcome, Brian. And if you look at what's going on in big cap tech, even you know, in this kind of Reddit run, this rebellion run, you, ha- you had a pullback of uh, the triple Qs or the NASDAQ 100 by almost 5%. Semiconductors, uh, as measured by the SMH or whatever you want to do, uh, down almost 9% if you take intraday high to the low uh, where we were, I think, on Friday. You know, you, you have a case where um, you had a massive pullback, but that ultimately the mega cap tech, as, as the space, whether it's the numbers we saw out of Apple or Microsoft, uh, the numbers I think we are going to get out of Amazon tomorrow. Uh, you know, this has been a place where it, it's it, valuation dynamics, all the frenzy, all the euphoria. I, I know these have been massive moves, but um, these are stocks that actually are defendable. And, and the moves here make a lot of sense when you consider the pullback. And a lot of people have been looking for places to buy in. Yeah, Dan, what changed from Friday when we were clearly all doomed? To today. <laughs> well, I think the calendar, as you mentioned, it is the first day of the month. So we did see, you know, some major, major um, degrossing, you know, large funds taking down um, their gross exposures. And they were doing it in very liquid names last week. And as Tim just mentioned, you know, those Microsoft and those Apple earnings were fantastic. But the stocks had run. They were trading at all time highs into the print. So I think in a lot of ways it was actually Pretty good for the bulls in those names to get a little digestion there. Uh, Microsoft back at those highs. Apple obviously feels poised another day or two is going to be making new highs. And then tomorrow, Amazon and Alphabet are likely to kind of post very similar reports. I would mention this, though, Sully, that there's some high flyers from last year that broke towards the end of the year that really haven't gotten going. Salesforce, we know that they made that acquisition of Slack. It's still stuck in the mud, down 20% from its all-time highs from a few months ago. Zoom, which was obviously a huge winner of the pandemic, is down 35% or so, really stuck in a range here. So it 
does seem to be that investors, maybe it's the calendar turn, maybe it's just a different sentiment change, maybe now that the back is broken of this GameStop situation that they're moving into the mega caps that deem to be defensive holdings, in my opinion, and maybe they're a bit more, um, I don't know, choosy as it relates to some of the very high valuation names, as I mentioned in Salesforce and Zoom. Yeah, and maybe the work from home. I mean, today was a big day because actually, according to the CDC numbers, today, guys, and I can't make too much light of it, we had more <coughs> vaccinations in total than the total number of cases outstanding, 26 million. So that's a big deal. And maybe the work from home trade goes away on that. Very quickly, Dan, before we sort of move on to Pete, uh, we, we hear about yeah. degrossing. I don't think I, we've used it for 25 years. Right? I think of Bill Gross whenever I hear about it. Explain to our audience in layman's terms what you mean by degrossing. Well, I mean, listen, there was, make no mistake about it, Sully, last week, although that these short interest names make up a very small percentage of the overall equity market, there were major ripples felt across multiple like facets of the investment community. And so when you start seeing um, really dramatic losses in very concentrated names, they work themselves through a lot of different um, risk managers, um, you know, risk, uh, you know, risk metrics, that sort of thing. So you get tapped on the shoulder to kind of lower your risk exposure, you take down your gross long exposure here mm -hmm. or your gross short exposure. In this case, if you're trying to do that, you might go to the most liquid names. And that's kind of what we saw into the month end uh, last week. Yeah, there you go. And, you know, Pete, one could say it was almost a market rebellion. I don't know. It, the term just came to my head. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> I look at something and I'm going to call an audible to the X. See what I did there? I'm going to throw an audible out to the ex-football yeah, player. Guys, can we throw up the GVIP, the Goldman Sachs Hedge Fund VIP ETF, GVIP? Because we're looking at this, Pete, because to, to Dan's point, you look at what was sold, and it looked like there was a correlation between the favorite stocks of hedge funds, the most owned or the most loved, and that's in this ETF, and this push for liquidity. Those were the ones that came roaring back today. Do you think it literally was... Just that, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, sell what you can to make money. You still love the names, so you bought them back today. It sure feels that way, Brian. I mean, you're exactly right the way we, we, we watched this whole process, and the guys were just dissecting the, the idea of how these stocks all ran into the number, right? I mean, when you look at Apple, and it was hitting up at 140, and then they deliver the earnings that were record earnings across the board, and yet they sell it off. So, yeah, it seems like... There was just that opportunity, and I think that opportunity of selling also created the opportunity of, hey, you know what, maybe this isn't as bad, maybe the ripple effects as Dan was talking about, and there definitely were ripple effects, but maybe it's not quite as bad as first uh, uh, looked upon, and I think that's why we saw so much buying. I mean, the volumes have been strong. We've, we've watched a lot of these great names. When I look at Facebook and when I look at what, what Apple reported, along with Microsoft, those numbers were absolutely extraordinary in all three categories. Free cash flow in all these various names and the percentage of their revenue growth across the board was strong. So, you know, I, I can totally understand why there was that need to get back in. And I feel like that's exactly what we were seeing today was, hey, look, we got to get back in. As a matter of fact, we completely wiped out as far as the NASDAQ that drop that we had last week on Friday, we wiped that out today. So now it's, it's a new game, and I think everybody's going to be watching, of course, the big earnings this week because I think earnings will finally take focus once again and probably push yeah. away from a lot of this short conversation that we've had.
Yeah, so so Tim, Timmy, a, a Tyler Matheson two-parter to you, as I call it, my good friend Tyler, though we just beat his Wahoos okay. in basketball, which I love. <laughs> so we're all old enough in this panel, I think, to remember four letters, LTCM, Long-Term Capital Management. I think it was 1998. Yes. We're all probably in and around this business doing that. And there was a moment then where sort of the world and finance collapsed until we had another rally. And we're talking about Melvin and Citadel, and there was some people throwing that around. A, to Dan's earlier point, do you feel like sort of the GameStop, Melvin, SAC, whatever it's called these days, squeeze is over? And then looking forward to the earnings story, what would be the most important numbers for you this week? Well, wow, you've opened up a major can of worms that I'll try not to get into. When you talk about LTCM, to me, this was uh, on some level the day the music died when it comes to uh, which was Don McLean's American Pie, Brian, which I don't think you were alive when that first came out. But but the bottom line here is that was the day that the Fed really became a major part of markets and backstopped the smartest guys in the room, supposedly. And, and I think we know how that's played out since then. So that's another show. Um, but but ultimately, you, you get back to a place where, right, what, what were the crowded trades? Um, have we moved past this? Is is uh, I think the most important dynamics for the market here are the things that we still had on Friday, even when volatility was sp- spiking into the mid-30s. You still have cash levels in terms of equity investment um, at a, you know, a, a 25 or 30th percentile. So we're not terribly overbought uh, on equities. I know it's hard to believe that when you think of some of the, the frothiness around the, the sector. Two, you, you have this case. Case where uh, what we just said and what you mentioned about COVID, as awful as this has been, uh, this is a tailwind to me. This is not a headwind. And, and I think we have a lot of pent-up demand. We've started to see where some of this trade is, is working around the world. Uh, you know, Look at the ISM numbers that were out in the U.S. today that were actually pretty good, certainly with some inflationary pressures that I think ultimately are good for equities. But finally, Fed policy. And you had Kashkari out there today pointing out, Fed's not going to do anything when it comes to the volatility out of the Reddit rebellion or whatever we're calling this. Um, they're going to sit tight. And in fact, they're very concerned uh, about tipping the, the, the apple cart on the market because the Fed has been targeting asset prices. So um, I don't think a lot really has changed in the last week. I think it's important that we've addressed some of the issues. And if there's a focus to be made on parts of the market that are getting pushed around by by certain players uh, unreasonably, um, great. Let's put a bright light on it and see what was really going on. But the fundamentals underlying the equity rally, to me, especially with Fed policy, not likely to change anytime soon. And Amazon tomorrow, you ask me, what do I want to see? I think they're going to grow their top line north of 40% on their e-commerce. Extraordinary. Um, and, and I think they continue to be, uh, I think, the name you're going to be chasing on e-commerce. But I think Apple, uh, excuse me, Amazon stock uh, in terms of its chart right now, is a bit of a coiled spring. I think it's moving higher. Well, and it, and it moved higher over 4% today. All right, let's bring a new voice into this conversation. Talk more about today's big tech rally and bring in our friend Julian Emanuel, BTIG's chief equity and derivative strategist. Julian, good to see you. Are you just sticking by your S&P 4,000 year-end price target? <clears throat> We are. Uh, You know, what you have to do is step back for a moment and just uh, acknowledge the fact that, as is definitely the case in the latter stages of many bull markets, um, we are seeing a greater speculative element. And with that comes more volatility. That's what we've experienced the last week. In our view, 
this volatility could continue for a little bit longer in the near term. But ultimately, uh, it is a buying opportunity. We do think 4,000 is very doable for a lot of the reasons that uh, the panel has just spoken about. Um, but essentially, what you need to do is to recognize that, emo that emotions are running very, very high right now. Um, and that means things may get uh, misaligned to the upside, as we've seen in a lot of these uh, speculative names in the last week or two, uh, as well as some things to the downside. And rather than uh, trying to go with the flow, those are opportunities to uh, add returns to your portfolio and take profits when uh, reasonable um, in a very balanced, less emotional way, which is how good investors really do run money over the course of years. Yeah, and it feels like no matter what we go through, right, whatever the thing may be, whether it's GameStop or Reddit, liquidity concerns, uh, new virus strain concerns, whatever it may be, that ultimately the Fed, that tailwind, trillions of dollars, $7 trillion balance sheet, QE basically still on the books, all of them in unison, no, rates aren't going higher likely for years. Does that supersede, only from a market's perspective, of course, everything else, Julian? Hey, Brian, it's never as simple as don't fight the Fed, okay? We, we like to think that's the case, but it isn't because, you know, clearly there was a time last year the Fed was still accommodative, and obviously we had the dislocations that we saw in February and March. Granted, the Fed came out and was very uh, in front with extra liquidity, and as you mentioned, that's not going away. But the fact is, is that we have earnings growth. We have the potential for a significant reacceleration in the economy. The vaccines are there. And to us, that is ultimately going to be a recipe for higher stock prices. And we do actually think that the value trade is likely to reassert itself in the days ahead based on a stronger economy in the second half of the year in particular. So, Julian, it's Pete Nigerian. Quick question for you. So what specifically sector-wise do you look to that's going to push us up to the levels that you're talking about for the S&P 500? Uh, we really like financials a lot here, Pete. Uh, basically, uh, what we see is, is the Fed staying very, very subdued at the front end of the yield curve. But if you look, part of this narrative of the economic reopening um, and, you know, the likely acceleration in, uh, in growth and potentially in earnings really bodes well for the idea that longer end yields, as has been the case the last several months, will continue to creep higher. Uh, an upwardly sloping yield curve is very positive for financials whose valuations in, in aggregate are very reasonable. Julian Emanuel, BTIG. Julian, we appreciate your views. Sticking by that 4,000 S&P year in price target. Have a good one, Julian. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, so we have some news on the big move in the silver market today. Let's get right now to Leslie Picker with more. Leslie, what are you looking at? Hey, Brian, uh, the regulators... 
paying attention, paying close attention, they say, uh, to what's going on in the silver markets. Uh, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission uh, acting chairman, Rostin Benham, uh, releasing a statement saying that the CFTC is closely monitoring recent activity in the silver markets, uh, goes on to say the commission is communicating with fellow regulators, the exchanges and stakeholders to address any potential threats to the integrity of the derivatives markets for silver and remains vigilant in surveilling these markets for fraud and manipulation. So this is uh, the first we've heard from the CFTC since we saw that big move higher in silver. So uh, uh, interesting that they are now on alert for what's going on, Brian. Wow. Leslie Picker, some big news there. Dan Nathan, I'm just going to go right to you. I mean, uh, your take on where this all may go. Yeah, I don't think it goes much further. I mean, if you look at the fact that, um, you know, this GameStop traded as high as $500, closed on Friday at $325, today closed at 225 down $100. It doesn't seem like those big shorts um, that the this Reddit uh, crew was targeting are short the stock anymore, okay? So if the company comes out and they decide to sell some stock and let insiders sell and there's shorts don't need to cover, this thing is toast. And, and I'm not, you know, this is not a call to action by anybody to start defending this position. It's just supply versus demand. In silver, it's a totally different ball of wax. I don't really think that these guys um, have a clear plan here if there is um, a plan. So to me, I think we might be done with this trade. And as they move on to things that are harder to move around like commodity markets, that sort of thing, where there's a lot of moving pieces and regulatory action like they're likely to come swifter, it may just get harder and harder to do this. So I think we might be looking in the rear view mirror of this little movement here. And I don't mean to be dismissive about it. I know there's a lot of people who think that there's some very valid reasons for this group of whoever they are doing what they're doing. I'm just saying it gets harder from here to push around some of these risk assets. Yeah, certainly. And Pete, very quickly, I know running out of time. Listen, the physical premium to paper, I, I think it was at a multi-year or all-time high. We had a bullion dealer on the exchange at 1 o'clock today who said, I've sold out of physical silver. The problem people have, the fear that some people have, is the dislocate. It's easy to buy a piece of paper, the SLV, right? It's a lot harder to actually hold mm -hmm, right. coins in silver. And that dislocation has some people nervous. Are you? No, I'm not. I'm not nervous, but I, I would. I bury myself in the derivatives world, and I'm telling you, we've seen nothing but option paper. Whether you want to talk about SLV or you want to talk SIL, SILJ, you can get actually into specific names like Pan American Silver, which has gone up to the upside. But specifically, there's a couple other names. I think they're still targeting the same thing that they were targeting before. And I think Dan would agree with this. They are looking for high short interest and smaller market cap type names with, with less outstanding shares. And if they can find that and it works out, those are the names that have been working for them so far as the Main Streeters are taking on Wall Street with this whole sort of, you guys called it a rebellion. It is a rebellion. It's a rebellion against Wall Street, and they're going after any stocks that they can find that fit into the category of what I just described. Yeah, there you go. And we're seeing all the miners, Pan Am, a few others, not the airline, the miner, all rising today. All right, coming up, new developments out of the White House, bipartisan stimulus talks underway between President Biden and a group of GOP senators. We'll take you live to Washington ahead. Plus, the big news today that sent shares of Ford into overdrive. We'll tell you what it was and how our traders are trading in. Fast Money, back at 2.
Hi, and welcome back to Fast Money. We are following a developing story out of the White House. President Biden is holding stimulus negotiations with a group of GOP senators. Let's get more now on the progress with Alon Moy. Alon. Well, Brian, President Biden is meeting with those 10 moderate GOP senators right now in the Oval Office. They are backing a $618 billion COVID relief plan that they say is more targeted. Now, President Biden does know some of these members from the time that he served in the Senate, including Susan Collins of Maine, uh, who is leading the group, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, and Rob Portman of Ohio. Now, this group is prioritizing vaccine funding. They are matching the $160 billion that Biden had originally proposed, but their plan reduces the amount of money for schools, jobless benefits, as well as for direct checks. And some Democrats are now warning that there's a real danger in going too small. On the Senate floor today, uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer warned that this was the mistake that they made back in 2009 during the financial crisis. And now we are getting some of that tape with President Biden and those senators. Take a look. No, 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 I'm anxious to, I'm anxious for to talk. I feel like I'm back in the Senate, which I like the best thing I did. <laughs> All right, thank you, folks. Appreciate it. So you see there, that was just a little bit of the meeting between President Biden and the senators are talking amiably there. You saw Senator Susan Collins sitting there right next to President Biden as they make their push for this smaller relief package. They have signaled that they might be open to some negotiation. Uh, Senator Collins had mentioned that they might be willing to go higher in their direct checked amount of $1,000 to come closer to the $1,400 that President Biden had promised if he would be interested in lowering the threshold for eligibility. So those are some of the discussions that are going to be underway during this meeting. But it is clear that Democrats, Brian, are also making the case that they don't want to wait around for Republicans to get on board here. That is why they took the first step of passing or of at least introducing a budget resolution in both the House and the Senate so they can move forward without Republican support. We will see and hear from these senators um, after the meeting is over. So we'll find out exactly how it went. Brian. Yeah, yeah, quick follow-up, Alon. Listen, there's got to be a sense of urgency among the Democrats on the bigger package because we're seeing vaccines roll out. We've had 12 days of more than a million shots. Cases, thankfully, are rolling over hard. I mean, I think there's a sense of urgency on that side. But here's the thing with the Republicans. If you're trying to sell me your house for $500,000, Alon, and I come in and bid $150,000, you're going to toss me out of my you-know-what. And I feel like $618 billion when the Democrats want triple that. I mean, do you think, do your sources believe they can truly find some kind of workable middle ground? President Biden wants to be seen as at least extending the olive branch. That is why he is hosting these senators at the White House inside the Oval Office, even before, let's point out, Democratic leadership has been to the White House. Susan Collins said today that Biden has called her three times since he was elected, most recently on Sunday, to talk about these COVID relief negotiations. So both sides want to be seen as making a good faith effort here. 
Whether or not that actually yields any COVID relief package at the end of the day remains to be seen. But that's why we're seeing this sort of dual track happening where there are bipartisan talks. But Democrats are also moving forward with that reconciliation process so they can meet the deadline of March 14th when unemployment benefits start to expire. That is what um, they are sort of staring down the tunnel at. And that's why they want to move so quickly. All right, Alon Moy, thank you very much. Uh, guys, let's go around the horn here. And, uh, you know, Tim Seymour, I'll come to you. Does it matter from a market's perspective what, what number they settle on as long as they settle on something? Yes, it does. But I, I, I think the, the, the concept of getting a deal done is, is the, the most important thing. Look at how the markets and, and certain asset prices have adjusted. So you've had a 2% dollar rally in the last three weeks, pretty quiet, right? And you've had a chance to see yields test the, that 1% level on the 10-year and bounce, and I think are, are moving a bit higher. You've had commodity prices uh, and some of the, uh, at least, the, the byproducts of where you could see infrastructure spend as part of fiscal um, really actually trade phenomenally well, especially in the face of a stronger dollar. Look at Brent and, and crude, you know, near essentially uh, almost one-year highs. You have a, a move in copper, which has been very supportive. So, look, I, I think markets uh, expect to see some deal here. That's not the question. The size of the deal certainly could, uh, I think, influence overall. But, but, but either way, we're moving that way. And, I, again, I would be fading this dollar move, and therefore – uh, I think you can be buying commodities, you can be buying these resource trades, you can be buying the banks because I think they're all going to benefit. All right, Tim, thank you very much. All right, coming up next, much more on the Reddit rebellion. Outrage growing at Robinhood as the company taps investors for billions more dollars. We're going to find out what's next as it plans to go public. Will it go public? And Ford stock booming like a V8 today. Share soar on a deal with Google. We'll tell you about the big tech tie-up when Fast Money returns. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. The Reddit rebellion raging on again today as Robinhood taps investors for even more money. Billions more. Kate Rooney has the latest. Kate. Hi, Brian. Robinhood is getting some emergency cash from its venture investors to help the startup essentially stay in business. Robinhood announced a new $2.4 billion fundraise from existing shareholders. That includes Andreessen Horowitz, Rivet, Sequoia are all on that list. And that's on top of a billion dollars they brought in last week. So total $3.4 billion for Robinhood just since last Thursday. To put this in context, in Robinhood's eight-year history, it had raised a total of $2 billion. And as far as why they need this money, CEO Vlad Tenev talked to Elon Musk on Clubhouse over the weekend and said that Robinhood needed to post $3 billion in deposits. Robinhood also said in a blog post on Friday that those capital requirements from its clearing partner increased tenfold last week. That's been thanks to people bidding up stocks on social media and piling into some of those same names. And after restricting some names like GameStop last week, Robinhood lifted the limit for GameStop in particular today. That maximum is now 20 shares per person. That's up from just one share this morning. At the same time, Robinhood is seeing backlash from lawmakers. We've got a new class action lawsuit over the weekend, and still there's a lot of blowback on social media. Sources telling CNBC that, that an IPO has also been what they call deprioritized. The company, we're told, is working through some of these more pressing near-term issues. Brian, back to you. 
Uh, Kate Rooney, Kate, thank you very much. Uh, Dan, your take on all this. I mean, listen, here, here's the thing. Uh, first off, I don't understand why the CEO of Robinhood is talking about pretty material stuff on a super exclusive invitation only private social media network, a clubhouse to Elon Musk. That's its own issue there. I'm sure lawyers might have a field day with that one. But what's your take on the whole thing with, with Robinhood? Do you think it does have a big future? Listen, I, I give them credit. They're trying to be transparent. They went to Clubhouse with Elon because they're trying to talk to the people that are using their platform and who are really annoyed. I mean, listen, they have a huge PR problem. It doesn't seem like they have a capital problem, especially if some of this volatility and some of the issues that are um, you know, kind of plaguing them over the last week or two go away here. But again, here's the question. Can this company operate if they are not selling their order flow to operations like Citadel? And the question, or you know, the answer might be no. And if the, if the answer is no, then they may have a hard time kind of growing this valuation from these levels. This capital might be a stopgap to keep them in business in the meantime, but their customers are pissed and they're moving away. Talk to anybody who works in a major brokerage firm. The last 24, 48 uh, trading hours have been really busy signing up new accounts and they're coming from Robinhood. Yeah, Pete, very quick comment before we go to our next guest on Robinhood. I mean, could they? You think somebody will pay six, sure. six bucks a trade? Can they do it without the sale of order flow? Um, I think they're going to have to continue with the model that they had in the past, and they're going to have to work on that. But, Brian, when you add as many clients as they added in the last year, or even if you go back 36 months, it's, it's an amazing number. They're fortunate that they aren't private now, or, I mean, public now, because then I think they would have an issue. But they were able to raise that money so quick. It was unbelievable. $3.5 billion in just a matter of days. I think that's a statement for mm. what people think about the future still for Robinhood. Yeah, there you go. Okay, let's move on. Our next guest believes that Robinhood will ultimately go public. Let us bring in First Mark Capital's Rick Heitzman. He is a venture capitalist known for successful early investments in both Pinterest and Airbnb. Rick, thanks for coming on here. You don't believe that this will ultimately scuttle any plans to go public and lack of public confidence? I think for the short term, there is a general lack of confidence. Some of the other players, even in the emergent space, like public are picking up a ton of accounts, kind of per what Dan was just saying. And I think you're going to see a lot of the other emergent financial institutions do well. But whether or not they pivot their business model away from selling their order flow and away from selling their data, where they persist in this model, they've aggregated millions of accounts and millions of this whole generation of investors sees Robinhood as the way that financial markets are being democratized. I understand that. And that's one side of the ledger, Rick, right? Customers and their order flow. But those customers, they don't pay anything. And now you got Robinhood every couple days going to its partners and asking, can I have a billion here, a billion there? They've taken in, I think, to Kate's point, more money in the last three days than they raised in the entirety of their existence. And I think they needed capital to support that order flow. And I think that's just a normal part of their business model transition. But what you're seeing is they're accumulating assets and they're going to be able to monetize that assets either through order flow, through traditional measures or through other ways in the future. I think you know, even if you looked at companies like Facebook, like 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 Twitter, who had early monetization issues, but they were pioneering a new business model. I think public is trying to do it in a very transparent way among the next generation brokerages. They'll be able to get through this. 
I think trust is going to be a key issue, and Robin Hood has to rebuild that trust. But when they get to the other side, I think they're going to be this generation's financial services brands. Hey, Rick, it's Dan. Um, thanks for joining us, bud. Hey, so, so listen, when I, look at your, yeah. when I look at your portfolio and I look at your investments and your exits, I look at companies that were truly innovative and disruptive and changed industries on top of their heads. Tell me, what is Robinhood innovating on? What is their massive disruption other than price? And do you think that these guys, the PR problem they have with their existing customers is going to be something that they're able to get over if they change their business model in a way that actually costs them money as the customer? And that's the big issue, right? Is Robinhood MySpace or are they Facebook? And is public.com or one of the other players going to wind up being the big winner in the space? So what they're innovating on is they're actually going directly to the customer. And, you know, instead of having the layers of financial institutions of brokerages and research houses and wholesalers, they're enabling, whether it be the Elon Musk's of the world or all all these next great companies, to have a more direct relationship with the customer. And, and this generation of investors are used to having a, a, a direct conversation. And they're going to be, they're getting closer to enabling and facilitating that direct conversation with the companies. And what you're starting to see, and whether it was on Clubhouse last night or even some of the private chat rooms, that um, in a compliant way, they're going to begin to facilitate a lot of the groups around how companies interact and how investors interact with the companies that they're part of. And it's going to be this kind of direct-to-investor mm. or direct-to-company relationship, no different than direct-to-commerce brands have been, have been created or even direct-to-consumer media brands like Netflix. But, but Rick, 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 we got to go, but I, but I, I got to ask you this. Yep. Do you, would you, if you're an investor, do you approve of the idea that the CEO is in a private chat room on an invitation-only <laughs> app, Clubhouse, talking to Elon Musk about basically capital requirements that the clearing partners are, I mean, is that a good strategy? I wouldn't say it's a good strategy. It's a private company, so he gets to make his own decisions. Uh, I think a lot of that was later came out via Twitter and other places. But I think you're, there's a lot of conversations goes on. If I was Robin Hood, you, they're real, their real concern now is building trust and credibility and having an authentic conversation. Yeah. And if I was that CEO, I would begin by having a much more public much more honest, much more transparent conversation with my investors as well as all these different stakeholders and parties and interests. Yeah, I would say they would need a better PR strategy, but that would imply they might have a PR strategy. Rick Heitzman. Rick, thank you very much. Sure. I appreciate that. <laughs> thank you. All right. For more now on the retail trading mania and how to capitalize on the market rotation triggered by the Reddit rebellion, you can head to cnbc.com slash pro. Okay. Uh, Tim, you know, I wasn't trying to knock Robinhood, but I think you get my point. I mean, they're kind of fumbling around on this thing, which they're a, they're a startup. I get it. What would you like to see from Robinhood? Well, I, I think they need to, again, they need to come out formally and talk about really what, what the strains are from the clearinghouse perspective, how much capital is actually used, what, what pressures were put on them, why they needed to raise this money. Again, we just talked about how it was pretty easy for them to go to their existing investors, and granted, they're going to be able to buy more shares in the future at a discount, et cetera. It was good for them. But, but that why their business model ran into some strains, and, and that, to clarify, what was, was there some protecting of, of seemingly investment partners, which I, I'm sure they're ready 
ready to push back on. So I think that's really critical. And, and I think, you know, for, for the broader investment community, it's interesting because then you know, there's, there's some sense that people are now looking at SPACs differently. Well, guess what? I mean, you know, SPACs may be a place where a lot of this group of investors that are disgruntled um, are, are, are seemingly going to get a little bit more accountability. And, and you, you actually will have better mark to markets and SPACs because they behave a little bit more like private equity in public vehicles. And we could probably spend another segment on, on this. But I, I just think it's about clarifying structures, products, um, and, and ultimately really where Robinhood's business model ran into these strains. Yeah, certainly. And by the way, your, your point on SPACs is well taken. Our friend Tillman Fertitta going public today, fast acquisition. That's stock up 5%. Wheels up doing a SPAC today. A lot out there, Tim. Thank you very much. All right. Up next, hi-ho silver away. Much more on the big moves that we saw in the metals market today. You might have heard just a, a little bit about that. We're going to break down that trade. And later, what do GameStop, AMC, Nokia, and BlackBerry have to do with free chicken tendies? The delicious details ahead. All right, welcome back. Well, look at you go, Ford. Topping the tape today, the stock driving nearly 3% higher. The company announcing a new six-year partnership with Google. A deal will put the tech giant in charge of most of Ford's growing vehicle connectivity and cloud computing services there. Ford certainly with a with a big day. Pete, you got a comment on Ford? Yeah, you know, they've had these partnerships in the past, Brian, but I think this one makes a little bit more sense now based upon everything that we've learned about the vehicle market, especially a lot of these EVs out there that have such great connectivity, and now they've got to transition, and Ford's got to do that as well. But they've been with BlackBerry, they've been with Microsoft, they've been with Amazon, and now here they're running around with Google. So um, I love the fact that we've seen nothing but activity for quite a while, Brian. Going back to November, stock was 9.5. They were buying June calls back then, the June 11. So they continue to get very, very aggressive in the options world. I love the, the leverage that you're getting out of that right now in terms of Ford. They just continue to come after it. And I'm going to hold on to these calls for a while. I love this story. I think this is a moment where Ford maybe starts to really turn the corner. Yeah, I, I love the glove. I'm rooting for Michigan, Tim Seymour. But the stock is up 40% in 90 days for Ford. Justified move, you think? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, Pete's talking about some reasons to be excited. And, and some of them also just include getting better at their core business and, and improving profitability in unprofitable uh, segments, especially Europe. And, and this is something actually GM was ahead of them on. And, and they've started to show profitability. Their numbers last quarter were fantastic on profitability, which has been the prove it, uh, the prove me, prove it to me dynamic, because it's not uh, the F-150, which is the most popular car in America. Um, when that thing goes EV, there's going to be lines around the corner. And we've talked about the other offerings there, including the Mustang, and where Ford is actually pretty darn cool. And, and so th- their EV exposure, as it has been with GM, when you consider the fact that this is an OEM that knows how to build cars, is part of what people are getting excited about. Oh, and secular dynamics that are actually very much in favor of the auto industry right now coming out of COVID. Yeah, I, I, I posed this summer driving through I-75. I saw the Mach-E, the electric Mustang driverless. I took a little video. Maybe I'll repost that. It was the guy was sitting in the passenger seat. Cool looking car. All right, guys, thank you. All right, coming up, Virgin Galactic. I know you've been waiting out there, folks. 
popping after hours. You had some Elon Musk news, a big trade in SPCE, and later the Reddit Rebellion setting its sights on a new target, silver. Best day in nearly 12 years. Stick around. Big interview coming up your way on Mad Money. Actually, a bunch of big interviews. Kramer speaking with top executives at Dick's Sporting Goods as well, along with a lot more. Catch all that coming up top of the hour on Mad Money. We're back after this. All right, check out the move in silver. I'm sure you heard about it, but did you know it was the best day in nearly 12 years? Well, Mike Coe spotted some big options activity around silver today. Mike, what did you see? Yeah, so we saw a lot of options activity. That's what we saw in SLV, the ETF that's designed to track silver, which saw more than five times the average daily call volume traded today. And it normally trades quite a lot, about a half a million contracts today, more than two and a half million contracts. Most of that activity was concentrated in the 30 strike calls that expire at the end of this week, next week, and also going out to March. We were seeing traders paying about $2.10, a little bit more to buy those over 100,000 contracts traded overall. And we also saw a lot of activity in silver futures as well. The 35 strike calls there were extremely busy. It traded about 23,000 call contracts. But for those who are watching who don't know, the silver futures represent 5,000 troy ounces. So it's a much bigger contract than SLV. And that too saw about 75% of its entire open interest trade today. So a lot of bullish bets being made in both spaces. Mike, thank you. Dan, is there a trade left on silver? <clears throat> I'm just going to reiterate this. I just saw it on the tape. The CME rages COMEX silver futures margins by 18%. I'm just telling you that this trade gets harder and harder pushing these markets around. That's all I'm saying. All right, there you go. And it's a big headline, by the way, 18% jump in margin. All right, for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. It's every Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, your final trade. All right, welcome back. Look at Virgin Galactic popping after hours. SpaceX, Elon Musk saying they're going to send the first ever all-civilian space flight up by the end of this year. By the way, Musk just sat down with NBC News to break that news, and you can catch it tonight on the NBC nightly news. But Pete Najarian, you got to love it. Space had a big day today, big oh. after hours. Yeah. Yeah, it's been an amazing run. It's been not always easy to hold on to, but I got it back in the spring. I continue to hold on to it. And this does fit the criteria of what we've been seeing when you talk about names that have fairly high short interest based upon people betting against this thing. Um, some of these moves do get exaggerated at times, Brian, and this might be one of them. But stock continues to make a move to the upside, and I, I'm going to continue to hold on. Well, Tim, do you think it was exaggerated, 30 percent, I think, in 24 hours? Yeah, I do. I mean, first of all, good for Pete. Sold to Pete. Um, I definitely have not been in this trade. And I do think the success of this suborbital plane. But every time we've seen this, and certainly some delays and, and less successes have also been big pushbacks. This is, this is great news for a story that people uh, expect to be become more mainstream. But the people that own it don't care about valuation, right? And, and that's really why you get this kind of momentum behind it. Well, if the stock keeps going up, Pete might be on that first flight, by the way, at this, at this rate. All right. <laughs> no, Popeyes. No, just... Much lighter note, Popeyes is hopping on the Reddit bandwagon because 
The fast food joint is offering free chicken tenders to customers who use these hot stock tickers as codes for promos. GameStop, AMC, Nokia, BlackBerry, they're all in the mix. Popeye's calling the marketing stunt free tendies for you all. Tendies, by the way, is a nod to a term that Redditors <laughs> use to describe a big financial gain or a potential financial gain, I think. Is that, am I right, Dan? Do I sound young? I'm just in it for the tendies, burr to the moon. I'm not really sure how this works. You sound cool, Brian, but it's K-E-W-L. You know what I mean? There you go. But use those that to get free nice. tendies, tenders at the Popeyes. It's time for your final trade. Let's start it off around the horn. Tendy Seymour, what do you got? <laughs> yeah, Brian, you remember that song. In fact, I think you're a big fan of that song by Andrew Gold in the, in the late 70s called Lonely Boy. Well, Gold, the yellow metal, has been the lonely boy. Around 1860, you've got a lot of technical conversions. I think gold, weaker dollar, is going to break out. It, uh, Bitcoin and, and some of these short squeezes have so- stolen yep. its thunder. But gold is ready to make another move here. Pete? I'm looking at uh, Bank of America today downgraded Moderna, and I think this creates an opportunity. I've been waiting for an opportunity, waiting for a sell-off. I think this is it. I'm going to be looking very closely tomorrow at Moderna to buy. Dan. Yeah, Exxon reports tomorrow be a seller. Thank you, guys. All right, thanks, everybody. Mad Money with Jim starts right now. <laughs> 